0: All right, church. Good morning, everybody. All right, yeah. I'm Ray Choate, one of the elders here at First Baptist. Good to see you all this morning. Good to worship together. Got a few announcements for you. Um, this, the today after church, about ten minutes after service, we're gonna we'll take a brief break after right after the service, and then we'll come back in here. Uh, the Hope Dealers, that being myself and Alan and Miriam and. Um, uh, Shanna, my wife, uh, she's she's not going to be able to be with us, but we'll all uh, gather in here together, and we're just going to have a presentation about the Hope Dealers Ministry, what it is that we act, what it is that we do, um, and just open it up for a time of questions and answers and, and stuff like that. So please join us, come come along, get your questions answered, um, you know, and may, maybe maybe you know learn learn some things that you didn't know about what we do. So. Um, there's a women's event today, the Titus 2 Women's uh, Ministry is uh, having an event today from 3 to 5. Um, there's child care available, so women come along for that. Um, there's uh, there's going to be a baby shower today at the church for uh, this evening at 5.30 in the Fellowship Hall. Um, Vincent and Tana, um, Yellow Bear, um, who've um, been coming and worshiping with us for a while, we're going to uh, just uh, gather together and celebrate the birth of their new baby and and just bless them. and uh, so, and we've got one more announcement uh, from the elder board. Um, Ozzy is going to give you guys some a little bit of insight on donations.
1: This is for those of you who weren't here at the uh, business meeting Sunday, this this first time you saw this would be in your bulletin today. It it is not. Um, we are not trying to say you need to give, but if you are led by the Lord and want to help with the uh, parsonage project, and we'd like to do it, not because we're looking for a pledge to uh, to to say you have to do it, but for a pledge just so we kind of have an idea what to plan for, which is why these were were put up not this is not a uh, something that we don't want it to come out of your normal giving we don't want anything it this needs to be above and beyond the the normal and uh, just one kind of wanted to to let you know what it is and if anybody has any questions you can come ask one of the elders thanks Ozzy
0: all right guys let's stand and join together in the memory verse by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, all right. Let's pray, Lord God. We just, uh, God, we lift up our voices to you in worship this morning and just praise you, adore you, God, for your love for us, your great love for us, so great that you sent your one and only Son to die for us, God, so that uh, so that none may perish, but all may live, God. Thank you for that gift of eternal life, for Jesus, who we can come to know you, come to your kingdom, and be called uh, sons and daughters, God. So we, we praise you in Jesus' name.
2: All right, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we just pray for our time together right now. God, would you open our hearts and our minds? If there's anything in our hearts in our minds uh, in any part of our life, God, that's distracting us from encountering you and your word this morning, would you alleviate that? Would you help us to let go of that or put that aside? so that we can lay hold of the truth that you have for us this morning. We pray that now in your holy and incredible name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, if you're new to the church, my name is Shane, and uh, I am the pastor here. And we have been going through a series at the end of the book of Mark, and we are calling it, A Good King Goes to War. A Good King Goes to War. And we've seen Jesus, this is what many would call the Passion Week of Jesus, when he comes into Jerusalem, and he begins to go to war against several things, Satan, sin, and death. Satan, sin, and death. He's going to war, and he will crush those things on the cross and then rise from the grave victorious. We saw that Jesus begins this week riding into Jerusalem as a victorious king. Amen? That was known as Palm Sunday. Well, today we're going to see that Jesus is going to go to war against divided hearts and divided relationships, Divided hearts and divided relationships. And before we do, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story. And the story uh, is not a season in my life that I am particularly proud of, that I'm particularly proud of. I think many, I've shared with many of you that my testimony, my story was, I, uh, was really trying to find out who I was. And for a long time, I looked at the world to define who I was, and I ended up becoming like the people and the things around me. So at one time, I was a cowboy. At one time, I think I was a rapper. I was a skater. I put on every kind of face mask that I saw people around me. Well, I did. I, I, I'm here to confess to you this morning that I did have a goth season. A goth. That's G-O-T-H. A goth season. There are pictures. There's evidence I'm not very proud of those moments, but in that season, I remember having a birthday and my parents asked me what we wanted to do and they encouraged me to take my goth friends, my troop of goth friends skiing and chaos ensued. I'll never forget, I had a, a group of friends, we called them the Dylans. there were three Dylans in our sphere, and they all had long, dark, black hair, we wore skull t-shirts, we had spikes, and by golly, we were out on the bunny hill, and we were learning to ski, and we looked pretty funny as we did, and I'll never forget my friend Dylan, and he really wasn't a very athletic guy, but he walked, He we skied down, well, we kind of rolled down the hill the first time, if you will. And at the end of it, if you remember bunny slopes, this was at Hogadon and Casper, you grab onto these little posts, and you're supposed to grab on and you get onto it, and it drags you up the bunny hill, right? Anybody ever been there? You've done that? Well, my friend Dylan, he didn't know, he was kind of terrified of grabbing onto this thing, so he didn't fully commit at the bunny hill. So he grabs onto the bar, and then he just kind of stands sideways with a snowboard, And then all of a sudden, what it essentially did was it began to drag him upside down up the bunny hill as he was doing this, looking down at all of the rest of us going, what do I do? And all of us shouting at him, Dylan, let go. He looked so funny. I'll never forget that picture. It drug him the whole way up the bunny hill. And I reminisce about that because... I think, you know, if Dylan had the confidence to put his full weight, his whole being, everything that his goth self was, onto that bunny post, it would have led him up the hill in the right and appropriate way. And he wouldn't have looked panicked. He wouldn't have been drugged the whole way. I remember the bunny hill just had the marks of his snowboard. It was a trail leading all the way up the bunny hill. But you know what? I think a lot of us like Dylan, are my slides not coming up guys can we try maybe maybe not um but I think a lot of us like Dylan we hold things parts of our life back from the one who's going to be able to lift us up does that make sense I think a lot of us hold little because maybe we're afraid to let God have different parts of our life. Maybe we don't like God to take control over different parts of our life. And so we'll give God's things like Sunday morning, but we don't want to give God another day of the week. Or maybe we will give God Sunday morning. Maybe we'll give him days of the week, but we don't want to really give him an hour a day before we watch our TVs or before we watch the football game. Let's see there, maybe we're working on it. Um, well, today we're going to talk about what's called the Great Commandment. Everybody say that with me, the Great Commandment. that are the greatest commandments that Jesus lays out to us. And this is a response to this idea of what we call compartmentalization compartmentalization, that there's aspects of our life that we'll give to God, but we'll hold back the rest for ourselves. I'm going to go ahead, and we will read the passage. And if you are got your Bibles out, go ahead and get those Bibles out, turn them on, uh, or flip to the page. Mark 12. We're in Mark 12, 28. Mark 12, 28. And because we don't have slides today, definitely follow along. Mark 12, 28. It's going to be starting in verse 28, says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked, Which commands... Sorry, let me, let me start over verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered... The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions, any more questions. And we'll keep trying to get these slides up, guys. I'm sorry. But our first point of the day is oneness. Oh, here we go. Maybe we got it. Hey, there we go. All right. So for us, the challenge of the great commandment is to bring every aspect of our life in line with the love of God. Of course, Jesus, when he's answering this scribe, remember, we call this in the Passion Week, this is called Testy Tuesday. You know why? Because the scribes and the Pharisees have spent this whole day testing Jesus with different questions. And this, of course, is the end question of the day. Now, Jesus quotes a passage out of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5 that talks about how what is the, the great command for us is to love the Lord your God with what? Your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength your soul and your strength. And so he lists and the scriptures list four different aspects that we are to love the Lord God with. And for us, I think in today's world, we tend to compartmentalize our life in so many different ways. You can tell you do this when you've noticed about other people or about yourself. You ever notice that you act different around different people? You ever notice that about yourself? When you're around some friends, you'll act differently around those friends. Um, maybe guys, when you go to work, you curse like a sailor. I'll never forget. I've spent a lot of time on con, uh, uh, with contractors. And uh, uh, one in particular, I know when I'm with him on the job, he's cursing like a sailor. But when he's around family, that changes completely because those are two, in his mind, those are two completely different aspects of his life. Many of us We'll go to church on Sunday and read our Bibles, but then we'll watch some of the, the most heinous and awful things on our TVs or on uh, on the Internet. Because we view those aspects of our life as separately. But I want you to hear that. Jesus starts the verse, and the verse starts in Deuteronomy with God is one. Everybody say that with me. God is one. And so the idea is that God's character defines how we are to live, how we are to be in being, and how we are to worship. And what is the most important thing for us? It starts with God is one. See, God is an integrated whole, and because we are made in his image, we are made to be as well. So that means attributes of God. Can any of you name some attributes of God, some characteristics that you think of God? He's loving, but he's also just. Boy, those sound like almost polar opposites, right? Loving and just. How many of your kids, as soon as you discipline them, they say, you don't love me anymore? How many of you've said that? right this idea of to god's different attributes they sound like they're in division but here the scripture is telling us that god is one his character is one so his perfect justice his perfect mercy they coexist equally one is not more than the other but they're all a part of who god is he's perfect love he's perfect just he's perfectly merciful all are in perfect harmony with each other. And see, when we begin to live our lives as one part of our life is over here and separate from the others and distinct from the others, essentially we, when we put that part of our life and start living like God is the God of this part of our life, but he's maybe not in charge of this part of our life, I want to propose that what we have is a part of our life where we're atheist where we believe that God doesn't exist. Let me tell you how this plays out in our world today. I used to teach this with college students, but this applies to all of every stage. There are many Christians who I would call sexual atheists. Sexual atheists. They read the Bible. They consider themselves Christian. The one part of their life that they refuse to let God be in charge of is their sexuality. And so we would call that even, we would call that sexual atheism. How about this? There are a lot of Christians out there who man, they would go to church, they would volunteer, but they will not let God tell them how they will spend their money. And so I would call that monetary atheism. There's a part of who I am, there's a part of my life that I don't let God tell me. And so that would be monetary atheism. How about the friends that we have, I would call that, if you, if you, like I, early on in my life, tried to do everything around the, the people who were around me, I tried to please them, and I lived as if God didn't exist in my friendships, I would call that friendship atheism. Because I live in that part of my life as if God doesn't exist. Anybody do that with a part of your life? in what you read. Maybe maybe it's what you read, what you see, what you do, your entertainment. Well, this passage lays out this idea that God's oneness, God's oneness, number one, is not conflicted. It's not conflicted. And therefore, it shows us how we are to love God. I ask the question, how many of you are conflicted or divided on a topic in your life? anybody is there one thing that you're conflicted or you're divided about well see the cool thing about God is he is not conflicted or divided in himself you think about how much you anybody debate with yourself when you're laying in your bed late at night and you're debating whether you said the right thing or whether you did the right thing and you're conflicted about how you behave that day oh please tell me that's not just me and there's this sense that we are divided in ourselves. Here's the amazing thing that this is telling us about God, that he is He is not conflicted in and of himself. What he has done throughout history, he is so completely and totally behind. He is one in his decisions. He's not indecisive. Anybody ever tried to follow an indecisive leader? It's kind of difficult, right? Because you're going with them, and then they change direction. And you're like, wait, we were going in this direction. Right, So an indecisive leader can be hard to follow. But see, the thing about God is He is not indecisive. He knows and has laid out from the very beginning. If you read Genesis 3, He has already laid out His plan for mankind, which was what? Salvation through Jesus Christ starting in Genesis 3 he preaches the gospel that the he, the woman the son of the woman would crush the head of the snake that was the first gospel and now all the rest of the narrative of history has followed suit that God's plan has been unwavering unchanging he was going to save mankind through Jesus Christ and so God is of one mind he's decisive and he's by the way he's not passive He's not passive. He's active in our lives. He intimately helps us walk through life in making decisions if you seek his wisdom. So he's not conflicted. He's not rivaled. So the other thing that this passage is addressing when he says God is one, there are no other gods. There are no rivals to God. That means nothing else in this planet can compete with God himself. Amen? So God does not share his divine station with anyone or anything else. You've heard it put in the scriptures that God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God. How many of you thought, well, that's weird. Why would we say that God is a jealous God? Doesn't that sound kind of bad? Well, when you and I are jealous, can we agree that it's not a good thing? You ever had or been jealous for somebody's attention? My kids, it's it's I use my kids as an example a lot, but when my kids are jealous for our attention, a lot of times they'll do something naughty to get that attention, right? Because they're jealous for my attention. But with God, he's jealous for our attention because he is the only one that rightly can be the center of the universe. You and I cannot take God's place as the center of God's universe. So rightly, God is self-centered. And did you know that's the best thing for us? For him to be jealous of our attentions because what is best for us? for our attentions to be on Him. And so, He really is the only one who has the right to be a jealous God. He is a jealous God because there are, by the way, no other rivals to God. I've heard it put this way, that mankind has a God-sized hole in his heart, and there's only one person that can fit that God-sized hole. That's God Himself. Amen? Nothing else will do. Well, many of us spend our lives trying to fill our lives with some kind of joy, something to fill that hole. And if you've done that for very long, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's friends, whether it's the approval of people, whether it's entertainment, whether it's the things that you buy, you'll notice that none of those things, maybe it's a significant other, maybe it's a romance, whatever it is, none of those things can fill that God sized hole, right? That's because God is unrivaled. There is nobody who is an equal or who can fill the God-sized hole in your heart. See, God's jealousy is not of insecurity, but of righteousness. It is best for him to be self-centered and it's best for us for him to be self-centered. No other gods or authorities will do. Maybe you've seen this in your life. Do you have any pursuits? So the demand then is that God's oneness is not conflicted, it is not rivaled, and it demands personal unity, personal unity. What do I mean by that? Well, we talked about how we are conflicted. Man's worship and affections ought not be divided, but one. In what direction would you suppose? In the the direction of Christ. In the direction of Christ. Our affections are to be in worship. We were created to worship, to delight. As I've said before, the Westminster Catechism says that the purpose of man, the, high, the, chief, uh, the chief purpose of man is to do what? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. He is the one thing that will bring us eternal enjoyment. But yet, we become divided. And what does Scripture tell us about man who is divided in and of himself i think of matthew 12 25 jesus says knowing their thoughts he said to them every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand anybody feel that jesus of course is talking about the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of satan but anybody feel like you're sometimes so conflicted and divided that you just can't stand you don't have any confidence that you can't walk forward in Christ because you're so divided. See, James even devotes a passage to this idea of what's called the, du- the double-minded man. The man that cannot put his full weight into something. That he's constantly what we call a caboose motive. This is um, from my wife. Think about a train. And Any of you ever asked why you do what you do? You ever asked what your motivation is? How many of you sometimes that's a really hard exploration or it's a hard thought experiment when you ask, why am I doing this? Because you can't really land the plane on any one reason. Well, it's what I used to do or it's what I know or or maybe it's because it makes me feel good. Or maybe you're doing things for the right reason. And in your mind, you're like, I'm really doing it for the right reason. But also, it's pretty nice to be approved by people. I love that praise of people. And so you do good things and you think for the right motives, but there's that aspect of you that's like, oh man, I really like it when people give me an attaboy or they praise me. We call that a caboose motive. Really, ultimately, you're doing things for the right reason, but there are other reasons in the back of your head that you probably won't share with people. That's called a caboose motive, and that would consider us a double-minded Man, well, here, the personal unity that God's oneness demands from us starts with the heart. Starts with the heart. What do you suppose encompasses the heart? Any emotional people out there? I can see the flat faces. People are like, emotions, what are those? Right? And then you, then you put them in a football game, and all of a sudden, the emotions come out. Am I Right? But there's this sense where God is then calling. He starts with the heart, the emotions. How And emotions, by the way, have kind of gotten a bad rap, I think, in Christianity sometimes. Now, they're not to drive the show. Can I get an amen? Because your emotions, your heart can be deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. That's what the Scriptures tell us. But there is a sense that Scripture calls for us for our heart to be deeply and incredibly infatuated with the Lord. With this love of God that's overwhelming, when you think about a guy like David, he got so lost in his love of God, he danced so crazy that people got kind of embarrassed about how much his emotions were into the love of God. So there is a sense that our emotions should be connected and in love with God. Anybody sometimes struggle with getting your emotions to that place where you're like, man, I'm so excited to be at church. I'm so excited to read the scriptures because I know God is there. Anybody? Oh, there's some honest people out there today, right? Yeah, we're going to struggle with our emotions uh, many times. And so it's not always going to be absolutely easy with our emotions. But there is a sense that the scriptures call us to bring our emotions in line with the love of God. With the love of God. (laughs) There's the love of God right there. So then it's so then Jesus points out the passage points out that that there should be no division in our emotions. Well we've failed that one so far. How about the soul? What is the soul? Has anybody done an investigation in what is the soul? We talked about this a little bit last week, the 20 story of the 21 grams. People have tried to measure what is the soul. But the soul really scripturally when it uses the term soul it, it, this is kind of hard to pin down. Many have talked about it as in terms of the will. Anybody have a strong will? We talked about that being a part of your being. See, we know the soul is eternal. Is eternal. It's not just a, it's it's who we are. It's our very being, it's our very identity. Our soul is an eternal aspect to who we are. It's our very being is it our conscience? Uh, the passages in Scripture tend to use that our soul is is very much who we are. It's in, it has to do with our will and what we want, our deciding-making factors. And this is interesting because you can think of heart and soul. And sometimes it, can you see your will come against your emotions? Hopefully, that's true. That's called self-control. Anybody willed yourself through an emotional attachment that you probably know you shouldn't have? Right. And so your will has to overcome sometimes your emotions. You start to see that that balance, that being, that identity. Who are we? So our soul, our very being, our, our seat of our decisions, the seat of our will, our eternal being, it should be in love with God or in line with loving God. Number three, Jesus talks about the mind. The mind. Any thinking creatures out here today? Yes right we we're we're creatures of thought we anybody have thoughts that you're like man if if i said and I, I do this to my youth a lot if there was a bubble above your head that showed everybody exactly what you were thinking or gave a picture of what you're thinking how many of you would never be around anybody ever again you would just hide in the closet because you're like man i do not want people to know what just popped in my head it's awful and i had to there was a a couple weeks ago, there was a student, I told that, and she, and she just kind of got, she's like, oh, man, that's terrible. I feel terrible. I'm like, don't worry about it now because we're all in that same boat. If everybody knew our thoughts and the inclinations of our minds, man, there would, be, there would be a lot of shame. There would be a lot of embarrassment. Our minds are to be dialed in with Christ, not just our thoughts, but what we think about, what we pursue, the literature that we read, the things that we think about, the podcasts that we listen to our mind should be geared towards what? The love of God. The love of God. The love of God. And so here, I mean, Jesus has already hit, and scriptures in Deuteronomy have already hit three parts of our, excuse me, self, that are really hard to bring into oneness in worship of God. Can I get an amen? These things are difficult, but this is the cry of the greatest command from Christ. How about ending? In ending, that scripture talks about strength. It talks about strength. It's okay if you're here and you you don't have a lot of strength or a lot of muscles, but strength really signifies the work of our hand, our physical actions. When we do something, when we do something, have you ever done something and you go, wow, I, I should have thought that one through a little more, Right? sometimes you just react it's like that shooting from the hip moment that's that's the work of your hand that's the action that you take and sometimes you've ever noticed people a friend a good friend of mine pulled me aside he said you know it's so it's so hard to lead a church and I was like why what you know let tell me what do you mean he said because human beings are not linear there's what they tell themselves they believe there's what they really believe and then there's the way they behave And all three of those things can be completely different. You ever notice that about yourself? That's an interesting hardship for us, is a lot of times the things that we do or the actions that we take don't always flow out of what we said we believe, but yet we still take those actions. Yet we still take those actions. See, God's oneness in the great commandment Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is a plea, is a call for us to not be divided personally, that we would be integrated as a whole being in worship of God. How are you all doing? You and I have already failed this first commandment, haven't we? By a landslide. But then he continues. God's oneness also demands corporate unity, corporate unity. And then he quotes Leviticus 19, 17 through 18. And he quotes him as saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, let's look back. Jesus is quoting scripture. He's quoting scripture way back in Leviticus 19, 18. Not the year, but the Bible address. You shall not hate your brother. So this is what it says. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. Reason frankly with your neighbor. In fact, I think I have it here. Oh, yeah, here it is. 17 through 18. Reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall, everybody say it with me. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so what is the context here? Um, this was interesting. Depending on the translation, reason, frankly, can, can mean, um, well, let's talk about what does it mean to be frank, to be honest, to be direct. It says in some, some of your translations will say directly confront with your neighbor. Well, wait a second. That's tied to love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, but then we have a passage that says that, that uh, God disciplines those whom he loves, right? See, the thing about love that we've kind of gotten uh, out of sway with is that the whole purpose of this passage is that we would be in oneness or in unity with God's people, in unity with God's people. And so here it means that we can't just sweep stuff under the rug, If we have something that's going to cause us to be bitter against our brother, what is the encouragement here in this passage? Reason frankly with your neighbor. Isn't that interesting that that's part of loving your neighbor? is not that you would just ignore the, the sin in their life, not that you would just let them do whatever makes them feel good, but that a true love of a neighbor is one that requires frank conversations. That's a hard one, isn't it? I think that's interesting that that's the onset of the Leviticus verse, the setup for loving your neighbor as yourself. And it harkens back to, and I talked about this last week, you remember the passage in John 17 where Jesus prays. What did Jesus pray for? He prayed for you and me, and he prayed for us to be one with him as he and the Father are one, and we would be one with them. That's a lot of oneness. Do you hear the oneness language again? Just like in the great commandment that the prayer of Jesus is that we would be one, that we would be united corporately, that we would be united corporately. So God's oneness demands a corporate unity, that we would be one with Jesus together. How are we doing, church? This is another difficult one, isn't it? I'm sure you can think of a few people that you agree with and get along with, but everybody? that kind of unity that God demands in fact the monday thursday in this in this week we call it the passion week john 13 34 through 35 jesus is about to lay out what he calls the new commandment by the way if you've heard and when we get closer to easter we will celebrate something called monday thursday and that just means the new command the new command that jesus gives what was the new command John 13, 34 through 35 tells us, A new command I give to you, this is Jesus speaking, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, here's our memory verse, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want you to hear there that Jesus is saying, if you walk around and say, I'm a Christian, does that mean you're a disciple of Christ? I grew up in a Christian home, does that make me a disciple of Christ? I've read the Bible once back in the 50s, does that make me a disciple of Christ? No, what does he say here? Well, I go to church every Sunday, is that in there? No, he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, if you have love for one another. Do you think that's really the reputation of the church today? how many thousands of denominations do we have and counting, right? Where do those denominations and those divisions continue to come up? I'd say the bulk of them, 90 to 95% of them are not theological in nature. What are they? They're divisive in nature, right? They're about personal likes and dislikes. Most of the time, denominations, now there are some theological differences, but Most of the time when it comes to the church, when I talk about the church universal, I think about the guys that I meet with every week for a cup of coffee. They don't, they are not belong to the same denomination that we do. But I love to sit down and have coffee with them and I feel very united with them. Do we agree on every theological minute detail? No, we, but we agree on the handful of issues that really do and are important. And so there's a sense then of demands corporate unity. What brings us together is our love. Of God, it hearkens to a, another thing that I think about when I think about corporate unity and loving one another. It makes one think of the Good Samaritan. Anybody remember the story of the Good Samaritan? It came. Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan in response to a lawyer who was asking, "Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor?" And one would respond to this second great commandment with, "Who is my neighbor?" Now I want you to think about Samaritans at the time. Samaritans at the time were considered half-bloods by the Jews, meaning that they were kind of they were a part of the Jewish contingent that went off and had families with people who were not part of Hebrew lineage. And so the Samaritans were seen as half-bloods, basically, is what they would call them. It was very ethnic in. And they're, their, uh, uh, we'll say, against the, the kind of, um, how do I say, persecution against Samaritans or the Jews' persecutions against Samaritans came very ethnically. Boy, we still have that kind of talk today, don't we? And so Jesus then, in the Good Samaritan, at the end of the Good Samaritan, who was the one who was the neighbor? Do you remember the parable? The Samaritan himself was the good neighbor. Why? Because he helped the beaten man who was on the road. He helped the beaten man on the road. What's the point there? That even the good Samaritan, those half-bloods that you look down upon, can be a neighbor, can be a neighbor. And so when we look at this passage to be a good neighbor, to be a good neighbor, looking at it, it it flows out of the oneness of God. It's God's oneness that demands a corporate unity, a corporate unity unity because by this all people will know that you are my disciples this is jesus speaking if you have love for one another if you have love for one another so to finish today what does this look like well we see that jesus is saying at the end of this passage the scribe basically looks at jesus how many of you would feel confident in this and gives him a pat on the back and says boy." so jesus teaches and the scribe comes up you like you answered very nicely What's the context there? I just think it's interesting that she, I think Jesus maybe just rolled his eyes. It was like, "Yeah, I know I'm right. I'm God." But the scribes like, "Very good. You got that right. God is one and love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself." And so we see that love is more important. Love is more important. Love is more important. And love is a direction. It's not a line. It's not a line. What do I mean by that? Well, when I think back to my friend Dylan hanging on the bunny slope and being drugged up the hill. I think about this idea that there was a, a line that he was unwilling to cross because he was afraid. Many of us draw lines in our life where we say, here is the sin that I refuse to cross. And so we, we put that line up and we say, I'm going to go as close to that line as I possibly can without crossing that line of sin. And how many of you have been? that's been your thought? Here's the sin that I won't go past. Anybody, have you treated your walk with God like that? But love is different. Love doesn't consider a line. Love is a direction. And so instead of setting a line that is, here's sin on this side, and here's righteousness on this side, and I'm going to get as close as I can to that point of sin. Instead, love is a direction that just says, God is that direction, and I'm going with my whole person, my whole body. I'm going to seek him out with everything that I do whether it's my work life, whether it's my thought life, whether it's my heart, whether it's my will, my decisions, I'm going to seek God out because he is, my love of him is a direction, is a direction. See, God desires relationship instead of rules. And I think it's interesting at the end of this, Jesus turns and pays this man a high compliment, doesn't he? What does he say? Jesus says to the scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And so there's a sense that, that this scribe got this idea that it's not about rule keeping coming to church and being a righteous person but it's about putting our whole self in the direction of Christ pursuit see when we put our full trust and being in the worship of Christ and love every part of our lives is an integrated whole into Christ it feels less like being drug anybody feels sometimes like it's a drag your relationship with god is a drag If you've had seasons like that, that maybe it's because you've isolated one aspect of your life. But instead, it's more like being lifted to newer heights in God, just like my goth friend Dylan. (laughs) So what? So what? Bring all the parts of your life together as an integrated whole in love and worship of God. Let this affect how you treat others. How you treat others. In your small groups... Where have, I want you to ask the question, where have I compartmentalized my life? Where have I compart or separated or divided aspects of my life? And then what are steps I can take to bring my heart, mind, soul, and strength into the direction of God? We're going to go into a time of communion. And what what a more blessed opportunity for us to come and to ponder and to say, God, I need you. I failed both of those great commandments. Essentially, all of us did, didn't we? But that's the good news about Jesus Christ. You know why? Because where we couldn't bring ourselves into an integrated whole, Jesus paid his price. Paid the paid the price for our divided souls to bring us in union with God. So we'll have our elders are going to pass out the elements here, and as they do, I just have you bow your heads, close your eyes, and consider what parts of my life do I need to bring in line, and how do I respond to the goodness and the generosity of a God who knew I was divided and yet paid his price, paid the price for me. May I have Carol go ahead and play and then would you pass out the elements, please? encouragement here is, if you're here and you have not professed faith in Jesus, then none of your life is in the direction of the love of God. You cannot be in the direction of the love of God unless you've placed faith in Jesus. See, God tells us that we cannot love unless we've first been loved. And so if you're here and you haven't professed faith in Jesus Christ and you haven't given your life over to him, then you are not in oneness with God and I want to challenge you let these elements pass by you this is for those who are in oneness with God through Jesus Christ but I would ask you to consider that maybe today you pray or you can come talk to me but pray the prayer of God I need you and call out to the God who would save you through Jesus Christ and if you're a believer here today I want you to think about the second part of that great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself and not a fickle kind of infatuated love like what we see today in romance but but one that is devoted and loyal and willing to confront even when it's hard because we love and if you have a bitterness against your brother the encouragement of scripture is to let these elements pass by you until you make it right until you make it right with your brother so on that day in the upper room At the end of the week that we are currently studying that Jesus took and he broke the bread. And as he did so, he said, this is my body broken for you. Let us do this in remembrance of our Christ. Let him be the one who brings our person into unity. Thank you, God. It was also in that upper room that Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood spilt for you. So we know that we don't have forgiveness. We don't have rightness with God. No part of our life is in rightness or oneness with God unless there is the shedding of blood for our sins. And that's what Jesus did is he shed his blood. He poured them for us. So let us remember the sacrifice of Christ and let it make us one as both an individual and as a church. Father God, we praise you and thank you, God, and we pray for the grace that you would help us to become integrated as a whole person in the love of God. Oh, and God, we pray that you would help integrate us to be united and not divided as the church, the body of Christ. We pray for help in this endeavor because it is truly impossible apart from you. In Jesus' name we all pray, amen.